Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash the director's cut. Today's episode is the second in our three-episode run covering our hugely popular Meet the Nominees feature film symposium. Now in its 25th year, the event is a roundtable discussion with the directors nominated for the Guild Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Feature Film. Alejandro Inaritu, the director of The Revenant, Tom McCarthy, the director of Spotlight, Adam McKay, the director of The Big Short, George Miller, the director of Mad Max Fury Road, and Ridley Scott, the director of The Martian, all gathered at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles to discuss the making of their films with moderator Jeremy Kagan. So please enjoy part two of our Meet the Nominees episodes and hear about how our nominees solved unexpected problems on the sets of their films and were willing to explore whatever happy accidents occurred during filming. Enjoy. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about this idea of happy accidents. Um, Ridley, I'm looking at a movie like this where you're create, literally creating a world that does not exist. Are there any room for happy accidents? Or in fact, is that also part of the process? Um, it's experience. I have no happy accidents. I'm usually so well planned, it's dead easy. <laughs> Sorry, that's the truth. Boston have done 72 days. Um, and I am so prepped, because I've made it in my head before I get there, right. that that's why I also adopt a minimum of four, four to 11 cameras, because I know how to use them. They'll never be wasted. And uh, so in most of the time, there were four cameras, even with Matt, by himself in whatever he was in, because, you know, if there's a flub, a happy flub, and if, if I'm doing a two-hander, and I want, in that two-hander, I get an accident and dialogue, and most of you'll say, cut, I just let it run, and because if you've got two smart actors, they're gonna use the process, because the flub can be frequently something is really better than you had planned. If you're captured, you're already run, just let it run. So that's why I was working two cameras, two and two, and all that bullshit about, you know, I mind all that crap's absolute nonsense. And actually to light it is absolute nonsense. You can light everything with four cameras. And um, so I always have- Say that louder, there's some cameramen in the middle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can I'll repeat it, it's bullshit, okay. So, so uh, if you, I'm not gonna lecture you about how you avoid eye lines and all that stuff, because it's absolute nonsense. And actually when you get into the real editing process, you barely notice and the danger about what we do for a living, we can study, study our navel too long, too often. And that's, I think speed is very interesting because mm -hmm. I used to think that actors like to have, when I very first began live television, and a very few years of live television, four years at BBC, two of that at Rediffusion, where I was learning to use six cameras on live drama. So you're doing outside broadcast fundamentally with live drama. And I, the first show I did was like for the thing called Z Cars movie, Softly Softly, the audience would have 13 million people at night. You have a day rehearsal, you hit it that night, you're live, you're on the air. And um, that's why I learned to use six cameras, I think, because you'd see them all moving. And woe betide you, if you look at the six cameras while you're trying to concentrate on transmission, uh, you've just got to watch transmission. Everything else is this morass of movement, it's changing gear, 
changing lenses, focusing. If you ever looked at that, you have a panic attack. So I just learned to drive the bus this way. It's like driving a 747. Um, and so I learned to literally think geometrically. So, and every scene has a geometry. So when I'm reading or even prepping, I'm actually reading the geometry in the scene, right down to close up here, wide, medium thing. I just got that as part of my DNA. So when I go on, I know I'm gonna be a minimum of four cameras. I'll get them in somehow, but I'll get in the way of the actors. Uh, it means I'll get it quick. If there's an accident, which I like, I'll have captured it. Uh, and then you move on. Way back when, I used to assume an actor would want as many takes as he possibly could. Um, and I learned later that they don't want that. Like in a casting session, you come in, and I learned this at BBC, and uh, at BBC, I was a young director. I grew a beard because I looked like 12 years old, and no one was actually taking me seriously. And I brought this very good actress in, but whether the guy was the window cleaner or a very good actor, very good actress, I felt I owed the respect of telling him the entire story. And so my casting sessions went on endlessly. And I remember being very embarrassed and intimidated by having this very beautiful actress in. Well, I'm going to tell her she's been doing like, you know, two scenes. And I said, and then I looked up and she's doing this. She's going. <laughs> and ever since then, I now keep it simple and keep it short. <laughs> And uh, uh, so when, yeah, so it's, yeah. Uh, there's a wonderful moment when he's leaving finally to, I guess, go to the map and the last thing, and he, he actually, yeah, and he actually forgets his helmet. And, it, and it, it played so well, at least for me, that I actually thought, yeah, yeah but I, you wonder, I wonder you, if you I'm love the, Not in the script, you just love those things. That's, that's yeah. one of the examples that I'm but saying. I'm how, you, how did that one evolve? Because if you I just that say, way, I'm watching him and say, you know what, you know, if you've ever driven down the wrong, the, you're in a foreign country. You normally drive on, what do we drive on the right here? Do you drive on the right Where are we driving them right here? Right? They, they drive on the left. Yeah. And they? You, and you, wait, and that's, you, that's to the two wait, of you. No, and you, and you <laughs> I'm not yeah, sure what Mexico and, does. And you stop and you have a picnic or something. Right. You pull out and you're on the wrong side of the road. So you think, the f is this guy flashing his lights at me? You're actually on the wrong side of the road. So I always, you know, remember that process. Um, so, happy this accident. This is one okay. big happy accident. Um, uh, there's so many scenes in the in the Martian with Matt by himself, where he has to emote anger. Uh, you know, humor with him is very easy, uh, but the emotional stuff where it's got to be real—that's the trickiest stuff. And you know, you can only just weep just so many times, and you can only just, and you know, astronauts don't cry, okay, right? Um, and men, big men don't cry, sorry, they don't. Um, and so you can only have that happen once. It's more than once you think, ah, oh, wait a minute, he's a bit of a wimp, okay? So um, we're now, we've talked it through, and with Matt, he's wonderful, both technician, intuitive, writer, everything. So you can literally sit down and block the geometry, the emotional geometry of the scene. While I'm here, do it in two day and a half, a day. How much here? Not much. Oh, how much there? That one. Okay. So you have it blocked. So we've agreed the geometry of emotion. Uh, so I'm getting to this point now, and we tried one in the vehicle, and afterwards he said didn't like that. He said, no, I didn't. That was not right. So 
I know where it has to be. The logical place has to be. And if you talk about it, the chances are they won't pull it off. Mm-hmm. You don't want to talk about it too much. Mm-hmm. So I got the sound man on one side to cobble together NASA talking to the crew, talking to the Jessica Chastain, who was the captain, talking to the talkback between all of them and NASA, who are now communicating. And they are going to, the moment is now literally, if it goes wrong, he will die. He will simply not get on that ship and he'll pass on into space forever. Um, so it's takeoff point where he's got to now take off. Problem is he's no longer in the hands of himself. He's allowed himself to be disconnected to Michael Pena, who was the pilot up there, who is now guiding and pressing the button for takeoff. And then they will catch him, right? And I figured, come on, this is it. And uh, I didn't tell him. I had this great, funny old sound mix of lots, multi, many, many voices all talking at once in, in you know, it sounds like good NASA stuff and good pilot stuff, good right stuff stuff, right? And um, Jessica was a great pilot, cool pilot, bloody hell. And she then said to him, how do you feel down there? And he suddenly, I saw tears of, holy shit. He started to blub on, on camera and I could see him fighting it like crazy. And it was terrific. It was, was marvellous. I said, let it run, let it run, run. And they went back down says to him. And he said, I'm really sorry I lost it there. I said, when I heard those voices, I, it actually, I, I just filled up. Shall we do it again? I said, we got it. And he, let's do it again. So we do it again. And he looked at it and he said, no, you're absolutely right. That's the right moment there. And write that you want cameras, four cameras on top uh, profile, every which way you got it. So the accident was not an accident, really. You you prepped it. No, it was not. An, no, no, I'd always put it in. Put, always put it in. <laughs> other, other accidents are if I blow blood with um, pipes on a set, I'm going to bring this nasty little son of a bitch out of somebody's chest. It's going to be wiped out the set. It'll take a week to wipe it down because raspberry blood tends not to wipe off easily. And um, so that's why I applied five cameras. So that was one shot. So five cameras on them. I had a hose on Veronica Cartwright to shut her up because what going to give her, hit her with blood. She went over the back of the sofa. But uh, to have that one take, and if I didn't get it in one, I'd have to clean up and come back five days later. Got it. So then you were blessed in that sense. That's, that's, that's having the blessing of it. Yeah, but happy actions is kind of guiding, you've got the intuition to tell you this could happen. Yeah. If it does happen, I want to get it. Is it, is it true you told the act, you didn't tell the actors what was going to happen? I wouldn't show it to them. Okay. Uh, so, because I knew they'd laugh. To see that, the pistol grip in the guy's hand, they just roll with laughter mm-hmm. and I'm finished. Um, so the guy, I put him under the table, lying in John Hurt's lap, because John Hurt's lying on the table like that, bent down, and I'm lying on the table, giving him white wine to keep him calm. <laughs> and, 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 uh, he's like that. I've now screwed a plastic chest on him, and they are already action. Da, 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 da. Um, and then boom, and the t-shirt didn't go. So son of a bit cut, get out the set, get out the set, and I line the table and razor blade the t-shirt 
again come back because they started bursting out laughing because the thing wouldn't come out. Got it. <laughs> There's a happy so accident. You, when it did you didn't come use out, that, that was good. <laughs> George, happy accidents, particularly on this film, which is an incredibly designed film. Well, and you don't want any accidents. I'm, I'm sitting. Yeah, exactly. You, you don't want uh, unhappy accidents, but in this case. Um, it, it was very carefully designed. I mean, it looks like a chaotic film, but, but we had to really, really prepare. In terms of performance, there's subtle little things. I mean, what's really interesting about this movie, it was very noisy on set. A lot of it was on the move. So there's very little opportunity to go in there and do notes. Often I was remote. We did have um, some sort of amp speaker uh, in there is just they could barely hear me say action or cut but the one thing we did do was um, if we were on a run and we might have several miles to travel we would do uh, providing we could go back to the first position as it were I mean the actors could regroup there was no, no event that stopped us doing another take we just say let's go again let's go again and then we'd look at it and by then I mean this is this this was an atypical movie because no Sooner are you saying action than you're yelling cut because it's it's made up of little pieces. But I'm trying to think of moments. There, there are moments of performance and so on, but they're very, very subtle. Um, and, um, you know, there, there are other movies that come to mind where you're always looking for that. Because of the nature of this movie then, in order to be able to actually make it, I, I heard you had thousands, literally thousands of storyboards in order to be able to put this into... Well, there, there were 3,500 storyboards, but, but that, that's panels. Right. But, but, but that was the first iteration of the movie. The whole exercise with this movie was to make basically a silent movie with sound. Right. And the best way to render that was to do it as, as storyboards. So... Um, did you end up previsioning those storyboards as well? No, no. Um, it can't previs real world stuff as well. But we did previs a storm sequence simply to see how that, that would go. Um, but for the rest of it, uh, we didn't. The storyboards were a document on which to build the production. That was the main thing. And it's way, way easier to describe the spatial relationships of the characters and the vehicles and so on and so on. So that was a really, really useful tool. And how did you work with your storyboard artists? Did you give them something? I don't know if you sketch something or do something beforehand, or did you say, this is the nature of this scene, solve these problems? How did you work with them? Well, I worked with... Uh, the, I wrote the initial version with Brendan McCarthy, who's a wonderful, I don't know if you know him, but a wonderful Irish graphic art, uh, uh, graphic novelist. Mm -hmm. uh, a very, very, very fine artist. Um, and then we, 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 we kind of almost dictated, dictated it and wrote it out knowing where we were to go. And then we sat in this room with whiteboards and we, we draw on the whiteboard. I used to do a lot of drawing and painting, but... I was nowhere near his caliber, and and I also worked with two other storyboard artists I've worked with, Peter Pound and Mark Sexton, and we basically sat and went shot for shot, scene for scene, uh, exploring it. And what was really interesting too is that a lot of the designs were being were being done. So I'd work with one storyboard artist. I'd often get up and do 
a very, very rough scribble and we talk about it and I, and I do a series of panels, uh, but my version, they look at it, we talk about it, we say, okay, let's do that, and one of them would take it off and render them at a much better level. The attack of the buzzards, those ones with the porcupine things, looking at, if you were looking at that storyboard, and the evolution of it, because it's a very complex sequence, and they're very complex, you know, creatures, if you will, that you've got that, that you devise. The creative process of the first version of that storyboard, and then really specifically say, "Well, we want to flip this here, or flip that there." I'm, I'm, if we were in that dialogue, what would be happening over a certain amount of time? Well. Mainly as we were interrogating the movie and looking at budget and so on and so on, there might be trims here and there, we might adjust them. But what then happened is you then try to get out into the real world. And with um, the, the, the crew, uh, they would go out and test some of these things. Everything was rehearsed. You have to do that with, 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 uh, with a stunt movie like this. Uh, every Vehicle role was rehearsed with an alternate vehicle, a cheap version of it, because you have to, there has to be the precision to get in your cameras. And we, I've never used so many cameras as in this movie. And, um, and, and that, so now you're, you're putting the storyboards aside and testing it against the real world. And that, that becomes, you know, that takes primacy. And so, these tests were with cameras, so I, I assume. So would you, when you were testing, let's say, a role, um, would you have three or four cameras on the test in order to see? Yeah, her? yeah. They might be just cheap GoPros sometimes. Right, right. Or, uh, but, but um, yeah, everything was tested that way. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Wow. Alejandro, any accidents, happy accidents in the making of this? And I know there must have been because of the way you make these things. <laughs> the film itself is an accident. <laughs> 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 it just happened by an accident. We were just walking in the woods and suddenly a bear came and <laughs> shoot it! <laughs> it, was a, it was a happy one. <laughs> we came alive. No, I have to say that, uh, you know, there's, 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 uh, there's like a very contradictory thing that I learned from this film uh, because it, it's a unique film and I learn a lot from it. And learning by preparing a lot, I think, as, as Ridley and George did, I think these kind of films, uh, when you are in these huge um, landscapes, which I have never done in my life, by the way, I have never had a... I hate green, I hate trees. And in none of my films you will see one tree. I hate them. Always I caught them, and See, now I was surrounded by trees. I, I was shocked. I was like, how I shoot a tree? And it's so difficult to shoot trees and horses. And so it was for me a learning process. And, and, and uh, it, this film has to be extremely well prepared, like, like nothing I have done, uh, because it requires, you know, conceptually, uh, I wanted to, to make it uh, the way it's done, which is basically with long shots that I, in a way, learned from Birdman. But in Birdman, I was in completely in control situation in corridors and theaters, and it was very, very much about di dialogue base and things like that. Here, it was a completely different animal that thanks to the great preparation and time that we have with Scott Robertson and James Kochtopol, that we really share a lot of time with Chivo Lubeski and trying to find uh, uh, the best way. So I start scouting location this film five years ago. So every locations I knew that it will be, have to be the site to serve a purpose, which will be, we, I knew that we will have to shoot in natural light 
and every location not has to be used right, but with the right light direction, and it will be used for one hour and a half. And I, differently from George and really, I, I decide to shoot just with one camera and one take and long take. So that, for me, was very uh, uh, ext extremely uh, kind of terrifying because there are scenes that are action scenes that involve hundreds of people, and you want to capture what is important and. You, I wanted to have these epic, sometimes moments that to see the landscape and the amount of the, the what is what is in the in that like the paintings of these things. But then, if that is not related to an emotional point of view, then, then what is that about? So, so to to choreograph all that, um, even when I was casting, I said to every actor, "How I'm going to be shooting this film?" And they will have to be subordinate to a very precise and meticulous way. So it will not be the classic, what about if we try that? What about, no, because everything will have to be like clockwise because we were shooting, I think I, I asked you like 14 millimeters, sometimes 12 millimeters that you are seeing 180 degrees. So there's nobody to hide. There's n everybody has to be around the camera. So in a way, everybody has to know in advance what to do. And because the film will start being shot in the, in this, in the fall, and we know that we will be shooting in winter and then deep winter, we have to prepare those uh, uh, landscapes four months before we start shooting because the snow will come, so for the trucks to come in, to the horses to get in. So the, the logistics of this film and the way that the months of preparation was something that I have never experienced in my life. That was, was so difficult and so expensive in that sense. And honestly, without that preparation, we could have never shot the film the way we did because when we arrived to these landscapes four months later, they were completely devastated or they were completely different or a float has come and all what we planned was, but we have the basics. So what I'm saying is that non-story, I didn't do a storyboards, but I kind of did like a real time uh, previous with the camera and with the actors and the stunts first. So basically not storyboards, but with the camera, really there was a preconceived things when I did the, the scouting location. And then with a video camera to be just finding what is the point of view and structuring what every frame has to be told and when to shift and when the, from this point. We start with Leo and then we shift to Tom. You're doing this, you don't have Leo and Tom at this moment. You have stunt people and stand-ins for this yes, particular Yes, yes. First is just with the stunts and, 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 and Doc Coleman, who was great in this, you know, helped me to start to get in from here. I, I, I did a, a storyboard five years ago. I'm a terrible uh, painter, but I, I use with my little things. I did something that I knew what was the, the anchor points of view of that battle that I want to shoot. So, so then with, with, with these uh, stunts, and, and sometimes I will say extras, just to be understanding, we did the whole thing one by one with measured steps. Okay, now we pan here. Okay, now mark that. Okay, now from here. Here, discover that. Boom, that will be there. Then we go to the elk dog. Then the point of view shift to Tom. Then with the then this uh, ghost time point of view. Then Captain Henry goes in. So we rehearse for days and sometimes weeks. And then you go to the next level. Okay, now let's see the action. Okay, now that. And then until the actors arrive. And then when the actors arrive, it was a pre-designed, very well planned for them to now get it into that. 
And that's tough for actors, I have to say, because then they are kind of, you know, wrapped in a very, very pre-concept kind of thing. Did you show them, by the way, these videos? Not necessarily. I was just getting them. But I think that I felt that they knew. I think a good relation with actors is built on mutual trust. And they trust that I have been invested myself a lot. So in a way, once I think they feel that you have really done all that work, in a way, there can be a rebellion and said, what the fuck, I'm not like a slave or I will not do that. because, Or suddenly they get excited by it. And, and in this case, I was lucky that all these guys suddenly we were playing like like cowboys and Indian, and, and it was kind of okay now two three four okay camera pop and it was an incredible precise every frame was a study every movement from the background everything was it was so what I found that was in terms of happy accidents is that we prepare and I'm talking about the big scene but the same way it was prepared every single scene every single one you know. And honestly, it's the first time because all the films that I have done in a way are kind of, they have the genes of theater or literature based on that kind of thing. But here, taking out those elements from theater or literature where most of the film is silent to, is when suddenly cinema has another possibility that I discovered that I was so fascinated. Because it's when cinema, pure cinema, start going and with very few things just by picture, you have to show the story. And... And, and we were edit. I was editing in the pre-production. The, 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 you know it, everything because we go from the face of this and then and then uh, and then again here. So every single scene was rehearsed with meticulousness, like literally like that. So it was like to rehearse a theater play for months with that background of meticulousness and confidence that it gave you that, which is great. But no matter how prepared you are as the best description of the filmmaking like this was Kubrick said that it was like to try to write a poem when you are in a roller coaster. And it's exactly the same. You are trying to be very poetic, but then everything is collapsing around you. <laughs> and no matter what, we were prepared for months. And then when we arrived, everything changed. The mood changed. The weather has impacted us. And then everything, what, we, what I thought was genius, is a piece of shit. And the camera movie is now not working and now doesn't make sense. And... And then we have, uh, you have to re recreate things. The actors start getting their input and some kind of things because they have learned from the characters things that now they are different persons and you are, and we were nine months there. So suddenly like, you know, I remember we did that, but f you, now I had a beer like that, I will do that. And I said, great. So, so suddenly all, those, all that precision, right. with the confidence of the precision, you are exposed to the adrenaline that we were running out of light and we knew that we have 40 minutes to go out, freezing everybody else's and everybody wants to go immediately out of there and, and we have one or two takes, that's it. And when everybody knows that it's one or two takes and that if we return to that will cost half a million dollars, everybody wants to go out. And so the panic of that puts you as an actor and as a director in an awareness and a state of mind that is like to be performing a theater play with the adrenaline that that live performance, but with the confidence of knowing where to go to. So that combination of chaos and confidence of rehearsal, I found it fascinating, and I think it got a good result, but we learned about it. I mean, it was something that I bring from Burma. It was similar, but this was in a massive, uncontrollable environment. And, and, and in, in, for example, one happy accident. I remember, happy accidents, for example... 
when the camera was, we always plan to go very close with these 14 millimeters to this super close-up because we want to integrate the landscape to the close-ups. But when the breath was happening in the cold and suddenly was impacted the land, that was a hack accident. And I love it. And so Chivo looked to me and, 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 and suddenly the camera. And then I used that. It was an accident. And then, okay, caught in the editing room, you go to the cloud. So, or, or blood spilling in the lens. Great. Or things like that. Or Leo wants to eat the, the famous liver, liver, raw liver that he eat. And he said, great. And he did it, and he started vomiting, and, and it's in the film. So it's an accident that he provoked by being brave and being true, and suddenly that vomit kind of cough. So uh, Aurora Boreal, we were shooting, and suddenly there was an Aurora Boreal in front of us, and you know, so and it's in the screen. So honestly, I think the accidents are the best part of this kind of process, but it's a combination Got of it. both things. Well spoken, well spoken indeed. Tom, happy accidents on your piece. <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> now don't. Here's, you know, I thought, of, I thought about this a I mean, lot. Come on. I mean, I really thought about this a lot because obviously the difference of the kinds of films that we have represented up here, I mean, come on, it's very clear. But the issue of casting, it's the same issue, whether you've got 50 people or two people. The issue of finding a location, it's the same issue. The issue of this too, about what kind of environment do you create and the possibility, how does an accident actually play into the film? And I'm interested in that because we are, we try to control all of this. Yes, I yes. love your fact that you said it was 80% of you were saying Adam. And there's a point at which it's not in our control. And can we take advantage of in fact what isn't in our control? And can it feed the pieces that we're trying to make? Yes, uh, I accept that. Um, <laughs> Good, I'm glad. <laughs> fact, Still Jesus. That's incredible. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. It's an incredible piece of filmmaking. Um, genuinely. Uh, but uh, yeah, in different ways. We had our, you know, not really. We really didn't have many accidents, honestly. I was, I was been thinking for three people, and I'm like, nope, really not an accident. Um, just because maybe the controlled environments of the world that we were playing with, and uh, you know, of course, within performance and the parameters of what accidents are. Yes, there's little minute, little pieces you you grab. But one thing maybe that was interesting was there's probably two little moments that come to mind. One was we were supposed to start shooting earlier. Uh, in September, and uh, uh, um, and because of financing such a mess nowadays, they kept pushing us and pushing us and not green lighting us, and so we couldn't get up and running. So our pre-production kept getting crunched. And and what was more important is I had to have one scene in Fenway, and I really wanted the scene because I felt like it. Knowing Boston, it says a lot about Boston, and not just because it's an iconic landmark, but I think it specifically speaks to the tribalism of that community, the kind of uh, the clannishness that sometimes can be wonderful and inclusive and, and sometimes it can get very toxic and insidious. And I think that was the sort of dark and light of the film in many ways. So I really wanted to be in Fenway and uh, it got to the point where uh, we had two games that we could shoot. Uh, and then, and, it, and now it had to be the first scene of the film. And just because we were, we were shooting that scene in a live game which wasn't a great idea maybe, but we, it was the only way to really get it. And I say that because we couldn't, we didn't have the money to control massive sections. You know, when I got there, I said to, my, to one of my producers, I like, now how, do we own all this? He's like, no, just that little circle in there. <laughs> Those two guys, we don't know them. They seem nice and it was like a nightmare. <laughs> and 
you know, I got some famous actors in the scene, and uh, it took us nine innings and a little more to get uh, like a what, page and a half, which we should have again been able to do very quickly. Um, and it, and uh, but what happened was then we were finally had the, the last day. It was going to be the second or third day in the shoot, which was good because I wanted my crew to get a chance to get up and running. And, and get familiar with everyone. Uh, but we had to move it back because the Yankee organization, and I am a lifelong Yankee fan, uh, would not let us shoot that scene with them playing in the game because of the subject matter. Uh, they felt like it wasn't appropriate for the Yankee organization. Um, yeah, so big, I'm no longer a Yankee fan. Uh, <laughs> so I'm open to any team that wants me. Um, but we, we, uh, we had to shoot it first, and it was a little overwhelming, and I think we, just, we literally just got the scene, I will say that. It was the first day for my actors, Ruffalo, uh, Slattery, they were finding things, Brian Darcy James' character, and it was just a little rough, and we would have people kept walking into the scene and would see, you know, Mark Ruffalo, and one guy literally offered him a beer mid-scene, and Mark said, no, it's because Mark's too, too nice, um, said, no, it's okay, I'm just having O'Doul's. And the guys were like, oh, duels, oh, duels, you know. And, <laughs> and then three innings later, where we're almost getting the scene, comes back through and goes, hey, Ruffalo, oh, duels, you know. <laughs> and I, and Masa, Masa Nobu, uh, my cinematographer, who's just incredible, we were so far away, like, peeking through, and he's just like, amazing, you know. This, <laughs> this is Boston. The accent, the happy part of it was, because it was a little bit of a fun, crazy nightmare night, was... It gave us, it gave everyone and some of the other actors showed up for that scene and the, the, the actual reporters were there. Uh, it really gave us a sense of Boston, of what we were doing. My wife showed up. She has not spent a lot of time in Boston and she made her way through the crowd and got to me. And she's like, this is amazing, this city. I feel like I'm in the deep south. And, and I'm like, what do you mean? That's not ever how I think of Boston. She's like, it's just such a specific community and it's so foreign to anything I know. And I thought, wow, that's a really important thing to remember when telling this story, that this community, one, that it is, and two, that we better get it right or it won't work. And so it, it turned out to be in that way, not in the way of getting something on film, but in the sense of inspiring the work we were doing, a really wonderful sort of uh, baptism, if that's, an, I don't know if that's an inappropriate word for this particular movie, but, <laughs> but, you know, like a baptism for the production, you know? You know, there's a, there's a scene when, when Ruffalo goes and runs to get a cab, and, and he, the cab's on the street, and he sort of crosses the street. And, and I, I wondered about that moment. Obviously, you, you planned it, but there was something about it that also felt inter immediate, spontaneous. The turn, the, the catch, what I'm talking about. Maybe yeah. you knew he was going to go past him, and he'd have to catch up. I have no idea what you actually were setting up. but I'm Yeah, no, that was, that was not an accident. That was just Mark being good. The only thing that was an accident about that is we had a stunt driver who wasn't good, and he got like two takes. And it's like, one more take, and he goes. And he did one more take, and it stunk. And then so the captain had to do it. And the captain wasn't happy about it, because he's a captain, and he was sort of not. It should have been an easy maneuver, so he did it. So that meant he had to drive the cab through the rest of that scene, uh, which we shot over like the next couple of weeks. And he was not, not happy about that either. Um, <laughs> and he was really mad at his stunt guy. But that was a pretty, you know, pretty basic and Mark acting. You know, great actors make make those things look good. That's the point. They do make it feel real. They feel that that, that moment is true and it's not rehearsed. And yeah, that's what it, I think so. I think yeah. we rely on that. And, you know, again, there's within this a million little happy accidents that happen and finding moments in production. But, you know, we didn't have a big one like that. Got it. Got it. Adam, I, clearly part of your work, if I understand, as you were describing your style of directing, is in fact to create the possibility and atmosphere where something else is going to happen that you didn't plan on. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think each story tells you how you need to approach it. I mean, there's certainly some other movies we've done that have action elements to it where we get more into what these guys were talking about with like pre and, you know, you can't have accidents then because people get hurt. So uh, in those cases, but we're always looking for sort of pockets where things go differently than you think they're going to go. I mean, what, what are there, like 32 different kinds of stories you can tell? So like we're trying to always pretend that we're not telling that story so the audience doesn't know what's going to happen. In the case of The Big Short, it really called for it because these were guys who were outsiders. These were guys who were strange, who were flawed. Uh, in one case, uh, one group found out about the deal th literally through a wrong number. And these are guys who were bad in meetings, who had pit stains under their shirts, couldn't make eye contact. And so I wanted to go counter to the movies like, uh, great movies like Margin Call and Wall Street, which were much more uh, monolithic and they showed marble buildings and everyone was very well dressed. And that was the power side of it. And these guys were on the periphery of it. So. Right away, my first choice, I wanted accidents in this movie, I wanted discoveries, was to hire Barry Aykroyd, who uh, is just the master of, of letting the scene happen without influencing it. And he shoots on long lenses, so the actors never know when they're getting their close-up or their medium or whatever. And he's always searching and playing, so constantly, every scene, there's discoveries where I'm running over and punching Barry in the arm and going, oh, God, keep doing that, you know? and. Uh, so the, the process of just shooting any scene becomes kind of a discovery slash accident. And then what I would do is I would, I would set traps in scenes. I would actually purposely set it up so that something would go wrong. And I would have people enter at the wrong points. And if I was doing off camera, I would always change the dialogue on the actor to throw them. And we wanted everything. We wanted people to talk over each other it had to have this raggedy quality because these real guys were feeling so much anxiety and they were on such a roller coaster and they were excited, they were terrified. Some of them got physically ill. Two of them experienced panic attacks for the first time in their lives. That's how horrible and stressful this was. So we wanted the whole movie to kind of be tripping over itself like that. So it, it had to be built into it. Um, you know, there's a lot of examples of it. There are tons and tons of accidents, but. You know, the main thing I would do is I would just, you know, there was a scene where Carell comes into his office front point for the first time and uh, just kind of busts in the door and starts talking about how his wife is giving him shit. And uh, I just kept delaying his cue. And I kept telling the guys, you got to talk till he comes in. And sometimes I would do it for 10 seconds. Sometimes I'd let them go for a minute and a half. One time, I think Hamish Linkletter even stopped and he's like, what's going on? Like, <laughs> and I'm like, keep going, keep going. And sure enough, out of that came this great moment where Rafe Spall talks about having a swollen epididymis. And it ended up being this illustrated beat. And it showed how they all busted each other's balls. It gave each other a hard time. And it was completely improvised and discovered. Um, so yeah, the whole method of this film uh, was that I never called cut when I was supposed to call cut. I always went way longer. Uh, always was having people enter, telling someone, go in there, tell them this, and trying to keep them off balance. And, and fortunately, we just had an amazing cast. I mean, actors who could all handle this, so it was okay. Was your camera person operating as well? Uh, the great thing with, with, with you mean, Barry Ackroyd yes. operates a camera, which is great. So he's actually, and God, is he amazing. And 
So yeah, with him is the foundation. You're, oh, and I told him, we just had a progression. Like, start off, give me some basic coverage so I know I've got it. And then I would tell Barry, I was like, go to town, my friend. Go to Impressionisticville. And he would start to just find different things. Um, but the actors started to figure out they had no standard coverage. And it just created these great dynamics and performances that were going on. Um, I'm trying to think of the craziest accident we had. Uh, you know, oh, one thing I wanted to do on this film, and I hadn't really done it this much before, and I'm sure some of you guys have done it, but I tried to use as much real background as possible. I just said, give me like six background people that we control, let real New York walk by, let real New Orleans. And I told them, I said, I don't mind if background tags the camera, if they look at the camera, like let it happen. And I'd well, never done that, that before. Did that happen in the Vegas? There's a Vegas moment when the two older old people are walking away and there's a rack focus to a, mm -hmm. That was, you didn't plan this? Oh no, those are real people. And they were, and I told my ADs, let them tag the camera. Uh, there's a moment in a John Sayles film that I always have loved called Brother from Another Planet, yep. where um, they're up in Harlem. And I think it's back before the legal stuff got so tricky where you had to get like a waiver from everyone. And there's just a great moment where clearly they're shooting out of a car and they go by a corner in Harlem and there's some dude with sunglasses just gives a long look to the camera. And it just drew me into the film in such a way. Now, once again, the story has to be right for this. Yeah, I mean, sure. When, yeah. In, in, in staging something like this, there's a, there's a scene when um, it's sort of near the end of, of the, the piece and it's a scene when, when Baum is, uh, is, is arguing with the, uh, someone from one of the, uh, I don't know, Stearns is saying, you know, the 200% or whatever it is, and everything's going that way. And you've got a large audience that everybody's getting up and leaving because they're all looking at their, yes. their phones. Do you remember how that got staged for you? Yeah, that was uh, my, my AD, Matt Rebenkoff, obviously orchestrated it, but I stood behind him and I changed it every time. So they had their progression. You know, this group goes, then this group's, and I would be behind Matt and I'd go, no, no, call the second group now. Call the, th call the third group right on top of the second. And I tried to get this log jam going. I wanted it to be broken. And so we kept messing with it every single take. And Matt's like, are you going to change it every time? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to change it every time. And uh, so that is how you get like this kind of confusion from the extras because that moment, I mean, it's a real moment where when bears started collapsing, I mean, the whole street, all of Wall Street, like went, what the hell? So I wanted that kind of cattle log jam in there. So yeah, we screwed with that every single take. Very cool, very cool. We hope you enjoyed listening to part two of this exclusive discussion. You can watch the full video of the Feature Film Symposium and many other director Q&As on our website at dga.org events. Be sure to download next week's episode as our five feature film nominees finish their discussion covering topics like staging and working with actors, as well as discoveries made and challenges faced during the editorial process. If you're enjoying The Director's Cut, please subscribe to it on iTunes or our SoundCloud page so you won't miss an episode. And leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. We hope you hear from us soon. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.